0: Thank you uh, for joining us this morning. uh, We're in our second week of our Relationships uh, Centered Series, and uh, I wanted to dive into uh, this topic, especially because I think last weekend when we were looking at conflict and and resolution in the Bible, um, we need to see these... People that the Bible describes to us as as humans, and sometimes we can kind of just separate it at, from a distance and say, you know what, I I can't even identify with them. I have no idea what, what what they're going through, or you you lift them up a little bit too high, and so then they can never fail. And sometimes the the Bible describes these relationships and these people in a, in a real manner, and we need to get to know them and. Specifically today, I wanted to talk about the relationships amongst the disciples. And we don't often think about that Jesus was kind of had relationship issues with some of the disciples that he was walking with. Now, there's conflict between the disciples. It's kind of a a fun way to uh, look at them. Um, But just as a general group, there's 12 disciples, probably and this is you know, speculative. Peter is most likely the oldest. He was married. He's probably around 30. Uh, then you have John, who's most likely assumed to be the youngest. He's 15, 16. They're all kind of growing and developing together. Most have never really traveled much of a distance. And as Jesus kind of finds them and calls them into this ministry, they're learning a ton. And uh, James and uh, uh, John are these brothers. They're called the Sons of Thunder, which kind of sounds like a, like a wrestling uh, team, right? Uh, but in reality, Sons of Thunder uh, is they're, they're loud. They're boisterous. They um, say things very quickly before they think about them. Do you know anybody like that? Um, you, uh, you, do, you know, like, would you be, you know, a teenage kid, boy, would probably be called a son of thunder. Um, And that's what James and John were. And James and John, their their mom even got into the mix a little bit. The mom, Salome, was trying to uh, put in a good word for the kids to get them, you know, vice president and regional vice president in heaven. And uh, so there's a lot of kind of this conflict going back and forth. But Peter is someone I think that we need to spend some time with today. Because Peter is the the leader of this group and there is a kind of relationship that he has with Jesus he is the bold one he's also the usually the the steady one but there are times where he just goes up and down up and down and he's a fascinating character uh, to me so peter takes charge pretty early uh, in the in the in the group that we have following Jesus Christ and I want to look at a certain portion of scripture today that you can kind of helicopter in and then helicopter right out and you never read the next verse and that next verse is so telling so in Matthew 16 we have a scripture that comes up quite a bit Um, in the life of the church, in the history of the church, but also the foundation of the church. And so let's go to Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, before we go, does Jesus know the answer to this question? Okay, so he is asking this to elicit the response. He wants them to say it. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, disciples? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Let's just leave it there. This statement is why Peter is considered to be the first pope in the Catholic Church. Um, Protestants and Catholics have been arguing over this statement for about 500 some odd years. Uh, What do we build the church on? Do we build the church upon Peter, or do we build the church upon the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of living God? It's been a five hundred year argument. The name Peter also means rock. And Is Jesus saying you are the rock, Peter? Or is this confession the Son of the Living God? And this has been kind of a, a good fight for a little while. But here's what I want you to notice, regardless of that, he said it. There's eleven others that didn't say anything. they were kind of speculating, well, maybe Elijah, maybe a prophet. Peter's like, You are the Christ. You are the savior. Now, we can helicopter into this. And, you know, it, it, it goes on in verse 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And we can kind of helicopter right on out. But the next line is so important. It says, from that time on, in verse Twenty-one. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. We don't know how long from that time on is. We, we know that, okay, there's a confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and then we have from that time on. From that time on... Peter starts to take some leadership, starts to, um, you know, rally the the disciples around, you know, taking care of Jesus, going in front of him in certain towns, getting food, finding the, the, the stuff that they needed to do this ministry. From that time on, Jesus is teaching about his suffering. Sometimes when we get into Holy Week, it's always confusing um, when the disciples are kind of shocked that this is happening, because Jesus is teaching them and telling them this, this whole time. He's telling them that. They know that, but they don't believe that. They, they don't No way. The Christ isn't. He's going to overthrow Rome. And Jesus is saying, I have to go to Jerusalem, I have to suffer, and I have to die. Okay. We'll see what happens, Right. They don't believe it. Peter, in verse 22. So remember, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, you are the rock. And from that time on, and then we have this. Peter takes the Messiah aside and says, never. Mm-mm. So somebody's getting a little, uh, what's it, I don't know, this is a weird term. Big in their britches, is that what, I don't know what large for their pants I guess now I don't know what is the term ah whatever um, Jesus he says never this will never happen to you that's okay That you're stepping out he's the bold one this is very Peter Jesus turns and says to Peter get behind me Satan you are a stumbling block to me you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You are upon the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. Get behind me, Satan. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Jesus will not get rid of him. He will not ostracize him. He met Peter messes up in a major way here. But he will not cancel him he will not say okay you're done i'm moving on in fact peter will do this many 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 times he will fail jesus he will hurt him he will fall down he's he steps out so boldly in his faith and then he has moments of absolute weakness and failure and jesus keeps him around Later on in the, in, in the Gospels, Jesus is walking on water and he yells and tells to the boat, come out. Peter gets out of the boat. He steps out onto the water. He sees the circumstances, the wind and the waves and he begins to doubt and he starts to fall. We don't talk about the fact that there are 11 other dudes hanging out in the boat. We always say, oh, Peter, why didn't you have faith? Well, he at least got out. And he at least confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. But he also takes Jesus aside and says, I'm not going to let that happen to you. So there is this relationship, there's this give and take of Jesus sees, you know, like this beautiful, amazing faith. But he also sees his doubt. He sees his control here. He says, I know you're saying all this, Jesus, but that can't happen to you. One of my favorite scriptures is at the very end of the book of John. This happens after a pretty tumultuous um, see a couple weeks in the life of the early church. Obviously, with, when Jesus is crucified, he's dead, and then he is resurrected, he appears to the disciples, and he begins to making appearances throughout the area. But the night before Jesus was to be crucified, he looks at Peter and says, and I there's a betrayer here, Judas, but Peter, you're also going to deny me three times. Peter's like, come on. We haven't traveled this long with you to not publicly associate ourselves. And then when the moment hit, Peter did. When it got consequential to Peter to not step out, he, he didn't step out in boldness here. He sees what's happening to the Savior and he doubts in that moment, goes, uh-uh. He denies him. Peter has a really hard time letting that go. He, he, loyalty, he he had a very public failure. So later on, Peter says, You know what? I'm done. I'm going fishing. He goes out and he's fishing, um, and it's a kind of a miraculous healing moment. Jesus comes up on the shore, sees what they're doing calls them back into shore. He's preparing them a meal. Peter is, largely sees himself as a failure. In John 21, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. Does he know the answer to the question? So this is for Peter to say, yes, you you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's hurt. Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Remember, it's not like he's not hearing him. He needs to know, yeah, you screwed up, but you still love me. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. That might be a little confusing, but John explains in the next line, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, and he said to him, follow me. Just like he did at the beginning, he goes and says, follow me. Just like he did when Peter's, you know, on the other shoreline, mending his nets. Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. He says it here at the end, follow me. He says this because Peter is going to be crucified. He will be stretching out his arms and he will be crucified upside down in Rome. This journey will take him all the way to Rome. He needs Peter to know that he's not a total abject failure. He had a moment. He screwed up. But this relationship that Jesus has is a very restorative, healing relationship. And in our relationships today, we will fail each other. We will mess up. If you're getting into any kind of relationship expecting perfection, it will not happen. And how beautiful of an image would it be to say to your spouse or to your kids or to somebody at work, you know, I, you're going to mess up. I'm gonna mess up, but it does not change the fact that I love you. I'm gonna extend, so let's say you're going through something right now, somebody has hurt you, has put you in pain, and they have messed up. And they come to you and they know and they own it. I'm not talking about staying in like abuse or staying in where they're they're not, you know, reflecting back. This is they own their fault. And they say, I'm sorry. You're not going to take that and go, all right, I'm going to store that up for later. And I'm going to use it. I'm going to pound it into them. They're going to deserve what they're getting. Notice what Jesus did not do here. He did not say, hey, um, a couple weeks back, what were you thinking? I warned you. I gave you all kinds of shots he could have made him apologize over and over and over again. He had, he, had him, he had him on it. Jesus just extended grace. He just extended it back to Peter, who, let's say you had a friend who would publicly disown you, who would, you know, talk poorly about you, who would not even associate themselves with you, but five minutes earlier, they were your best friend. And now when they're in a different crowd, they they disparage you. Imagine the grace needed to say, I still love you. Now if that person comes back and says, I messed up. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Yes, but I will not forget. Well, that's... You're still holding it. You're still holding that poison of unforgiveness. Of saying, you failed me. I will never let that go. Jesus could have moved on. He could have gone to another. But he saw the value in Peter to say, you are worth more than the pain you have put me through. We will put each other in pain. Sometimes it's really hard. Relationships are difficult. And what if we could express radical forgiveness and love and grace to all of those around us? You know, we expect Jesus to forgive us, yet we hold on to unforgiveness to other people. Thankfully, God is way more gracious than us, because in this moment, from let's go back to Matthew, verse twenty, uh, verse twenty-one. From that time on, it says Jesus is telling them, "I will. I need to go to Jerusalem. I need to suffer. I need to die, and on the third day, I need to be raised to life." Yet, when this happens, they're all gone, except for John. All the disciples that Jesus had poured three years of his life into, he's healed, he's restored. They have seen the miracles happen, they have been with them. They've been handing out fish and bread, they've done all the things. And he's saying, This has to happen. Because this isn't just about the 12. We have to take this further. Peter takes him aside and says, no, I don't agree with that. I will not let that happen to you. Now, there is a beautiful loyalty in that. But then Jesus calls him and says, how about no? Let's go to the next verse in 23. Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Satan also means adversary. It also means, you know, one, trying to get in the way of the will of God. You are a stumbling block. You you were the rock, and now you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind, uh, mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He's saying, you're thinking of just about you. This is about God. Get behind me. Yet, at the very end, before Jesus is to ascend into heaven and to be with his father, he decides, I need to sit on the shoreline again, call Peter to the shore. Oh, I love the story, but it's not going to be on your screen. Peter has a habit of jumping out of boats. Um, Verse 15 earlier than this. um, No, wait, sorry. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loves says to Peter, because they see this guy off in the distance. So John says, it's the Lord. As soon as as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, and he jumps into the water. The other disciples follow in the boat. (laughs) Love that part. Towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. About 100 yards out. When they had landed, they saw a fire, there, fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. That's what Jesus decides. He decides Peter needs to be restored here. We need to find healing here. My prayer for you is that you see this. Maybe you're holding on to something. Maybe you're holding on to a grudge or unforgiveness, somebody that has failed you, and you're not letting it go. They've asked for forgiveness, and you're like, mm, like, I just can't. May you see what Jesus does here with Peter and reflect it back. Because our goal and our purpose is to be more like Jesus and less like us. May we have the, and on our minds the concerns of God and not the concerns of man. This morning, we'll be taking communion together as, as a family. Um, As we celebrate this today, we uh, offer what's called open communion here at Eastridge. And you don't have to be a member here or know the handshake. Um, You just have to be a believer. We ask for you to come up and take the elements and take them back to your seats. And we'll take it together as a family. My prayer for you today um, is that you see at Jesus' last supper, yes, Judas is there, the betrayer. Jesus still serves him. Peter is there, the denier. Jesus still serves him. May we reflect that back to our community as well. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we ask for your blessing and forgiveness this morning. There's something that we're holding on to, something that we have not let go of. May we show the same grace and mercy back to them. We do not deserve this radical love and grace that you give us. And we appreciate it very much. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen.